You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Good morning, everyone. If you have one of those mice in your house or in trouble, I can tell you that. You know, sometimes we think things are going to kill us and they're not going to kill us. Sometimes we think things are going to overcome us, but they're not going to overcome us. Not at least, that is, if we don't let them overcome us. You know, Tom was talking a while ago about fear. The message this morning is called the fear factor. I want to look this morning at fear. Is the sound okay? Is the sound okay? Because it sounds like I've got kind of cotton wool in my ears up here, but that's, it's probably okay. I want to talk this morning about fear. The fear factor. Now, Tom mentioned a while ago, and I've quoted it on a number of occasions, that 365 times it says in the Bible, do not be afraid. And there's a very good reason for that, and that is because God knows that it's in the human nature to be afraid. Being afraid is actually the correct response when there's something to be afraid of. Do you know what I'm saying? If a lion comes into this room in a few minutes, now it's unlikely, but if he did, and came inside here and began roaring and clawing around the place, it would be a good thing to be afraid of that lion. Isn't that right? Yes. So it's, it, sometimes there is good fear in our lives. I think, however, if we look at the Bible, we realize that what we need to look at is the difference between good fear and bad fear, or to choose what to fear and what not to fear. Um, you know, there was a time when it's believed, well, some people believe, maybe optimists believe, that the world is driven by the power of dreams, that people have dreams and they have visions that drive the world on. But BBC TV recently did a series, actually it's a few years ago, probably five or six years ago, called The Power of Nightmares. And in that, they basically went into the psychology or the sociology of bad news. And they, they, they went right back to the 1950s and 1960s, and they basically showed that fear sells far more than hope does. That fear is the big seller. If you want to start a 24-hour news channel, don't put a load of good news stories on it, because nobody will watch it. But if you put a lot of stories on it about frightening things, everyone will start to watch it because fear sells. It's the power of fear and the power of nightmares that actually drives so many of the decisions that we make every day. That every day we make financial decisions, relationship decisions, work decisions. We make decisions emotionally, physically, even spiritually on the basis of our fears rather than on the basis of our dreams. I want to look this morning at, at fear and what Jesus had to say a little bit about fear. And he said something that was, uh, that, that's quite challenging. I want to look here at Matthew chapter 10, verse 20, uh, verses 28 to 33, but I want to look, I want to begin by laying down a foundation. Tom and I were having a conversation about foundations this morning, and he didn't realize, but that I was going to talk for a few minutes about foundations. And here is what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs. Pay attention to this. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. I want to talk to you this morning about having the right foundation in your life. 
I want to talk to you this morning about having the bottom line in your life being really solid. And if that's right, then you don't need to worry about what happens up over that foundation. Every builder knows that if you build a good foundation under a house, the house will stand for many, many years. I'm actually thinking of it as I'm walking up and down the stage here because you got that now, you know what was going on. I'm kind of half afraid to jump up and down because the stage here, right, underneath me, it was built and put into it was um, eight tons of sand. There's eight tons of sand underneath the stage, and the purpose of that sand it was to reduce the sound and the vibration traveling through to our neighbors. Hello, neighbors! It was to stop all the sound traveling through to our neighbors. And the sand was really useful, but it turns out that we have built our stage upon the sand. Jesus said, don't build on sand. And we put eight tons of sand into the stage. And what happened? The sand that was put in there is wet, and the wet sand has soaked into the timber. And now the timber is starting to rot and this stage could give way at any moment. I just thought it was a good illustration. If you get the foundation right, what happens after that really will stand. And here it says about fear. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. We're going to look a little bit more at that fear uh, as we go on here. But I'm going to look at some of the words of Jesus that have always challenged me and have always spoken to me. But that, as I read recently, I really felt God just, just kind of, as it were, plow a new furrow in my heart about these particular passages. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. What does that mean? If you want to have a wise life, does anybody here want to be wise? Does anybody want to be wise? Fear the Lord. That's the first place to start. Honor God, reverence God, fear God. That's the very first place to start. Do what pleases him and keep him happy, as it were, with your life. But Jesus was speaking to his disciples in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. He was telling them, when you follow me, there's going to be a price to be paid for following me. And sometimes it's not going to be very nice following me, and you're going to go through some tough times. It's the same for every Christian who ever truly became a Christian. The, the scripture says that anyone who wants to live a righteous life will experience persecution. Now, persecution, you need to, to kind of narrow it down a little because some people think that all persecution is kind of being locked up in a jail and being tortured by people from ISIS. That's not quite the persecution that always happens. Remember, Jesus said this. He said, blessed are you when men curse you and hate you, exclude you and say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, he said, for great will be your reward in heaven. And in that, there isn't, there isn't an awful lot about being whipped and tortured and chained, but it's about being excluded. It's about being given the silent treatment. It's about being hated and about people saying things about you that aren't true. Jesus says, if that happens to you because of me, rejoice and be glad. When we get to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, like I said, he's explained to his disciples, and he says this. He says a very straightforward statement that can be a little bit hard to take at times. This is what he says. He says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear God only, who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. The word hell there, the Greek word gienna, literally meaning the place of eternal torment. He says, don't fear those who can kill only the body. Now, if you think about that culture, or you think about every culture that has ever existed, 
ever since the foundation of civilization, the one big fear that has driven absolutely everybody is the fear of death. The fear of death is the biggest possible fear that we can have. It's the fear of death that allows empires and emperors to grow in power. They were invariably known in the Old Testament, for instance, the likes of Pharaoh was known as the dealer of death. If you found yourself in front of Pharaoh and you were in trouble, he would deal you death. It was his ability to take your life that gave him the power. Jesus is saying to his disciples that there are going to be those who want to kill your body, but you're not to be afraid of them. Now, forgive me for saying this, but like, like what else is there to be afraid of? I mean, if they can kill your body, I mean, isn't that the ultimate, the ultimate triumph of somebody over you that they can kill you? Jesus says, no, that's not the ultimate triumph. He says, you need to fear the one who can kill both body and soul and cast them into hell. He says, because Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't think about your lives in such a temporal, short-term way. Don't think that all that there is to your life is between 1967, died, year, who knows. That, you know, think that there is more to your life than just your living and breathing day in, day out, working, loving, living life. He said there is so much more than that. There is eternal life. Part of you is immortal. Part of you will never die. Your soul will never die. And he says, don't be just looking and don't be living in fear of those who can just take this physical body and destroy it. Now, the disciples that he was speaking to, as it turns out, of, of the 11 that were left, including, if you exclude Judas, 10 of them died by the sword of someone else. They all died as a result of being killed for their faith. So he knew what he was talking about and what he was saying prophetically. And in the midst of this fear, Jesus offers something else. Because he goes on over this passage, and I, think, I personally think this is beautiful. He goes on to describe something else. He says, don't fear, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear God only. And this is why he says it. He says, what is the price of two sparrows? It's one copper coin. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Would anyone say amen, Tom? So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. And I love the way that Jesus paints the awesome, incredible, terrifying fear of God on the one hand, who has all of this power, but on the other hand, he paints the intimate, genuine, profound care for God that God has for his people on the other hand. He says, you're worth more than so many sparrows. And here's the thing. It, it, um, you could refer to it as the telemetry of God. The telemetry of God is this idea that God is continually taking stock of what our lives are like. It's in, it's in his omniscience. He knows everything. A couple of weeks ago, I was at home on a Thursday afternoon. I was working on a message. And I, I like to feed the birds in my back garden. And there was this sudden scatter of birds everywhere. Suddenly, the birds just took off in every direction. And so I, my attention was drawn to it. So I look out into the garden. And there in the middle of the garden, garden is a hawk and he's sitting there and he's looking at me bold like hawks do you know the way a hawk would look at you and you kind of he gives you the look and he said and as I look at the hawk there in his talon I would say it was his right talon is a sparrow a little tiny sparrow and he gives a little flutter and then it's but the hawk doesn't particularly care 
The hawk suddenly throws up the chest, whips out the wings and takes off with the sparrow in his talon. The sparrow was going to be dinner that night, by the way, just so as you would know for that hawk. Here's the curious thing about it. Our heavenly father knows what happened to that sparrow. He knows, according to Jesus, what happened to the sparrow that died in my back garden two weeks ago. Now, I'm not saying that all birds go to heaven, okay? <laughs> but that's the intimate level of interest and care that God has. And that's why Jesus says, he's the one you should fear. The guy who wants to come and kill you, he doesn't know anything about you. You should fear the one who really, really knows you intimately. He knows you profoundly. He knows how many hairs there are on your head. Did you know that we all have different numbers of hair, but we broadly, we broadly kind of come in around the same amount of hairs? Did you know that? For, oh, yet, yet, it's a fact. Did you know that, seriously, blonde people, right? Blonde people actually have the most hair. They not only have the most fun, but they also have the most hair. Now, if it's bleach blonde, it doesn't count, okay? Sorry about that. It's not a multiplication. Moi? No. Blonde people have 150,000 hair follicles, by and large. 150,000 hairs in their heads. Would you believe that in most of their heads? People with brown hair or black hair normally have somewhere between 100 and 110,000 hairs in their heads. But you know who has the least number of hairs? Foxy people. Red-haired people have the lowest number. Of, now, I was once red-haired. You mightn't think it, but I was red-haired once. I had a big shock of copper red hair. Uh, they used to call me Duracell. Anyway, um, 90,000 hairs is all red-haired people get, okay? It's just not fair. But every hair that's on my head and on your head, amen, Ted? Every hair is numbered. That is the intimate care of God going on in your life. And Jesus paints that picture. He says, you know, what are you fearing that guy for? Because all he can do is take your life. Fear your Father in heaven. Fear God. Because if you fear God, then, you know, he's the one who knows every single thing about your life. He's the one who pours this infinite care over your life. So he's the one that you should be conscious of all the time. Don't be conscious of the fellow from ISIS who says, wow, walk, walk, and shakes his finger at you and says he's going to come and kill you. Don't be afraid of him. Fear God. Keep him happy. Be more concerned about but what God thinks of your life than what anybody else thinks of your life. Would anyone say amen? The, a, 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 a reforming writer, a guy called William Gornell, said this, and I think it's really true. He said, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. We're afraid of our boss so much because we fear God so little. Because we think God has so little power over our boss. We fear our circumstances so much because we fear that God doesn't have power over circumstances. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Would anyone say amen? amen. It's a lie. We fear men so much. Oh, what will they think of me? What will they do to me? What will happen to me if I say this? What will happen to me if I say that? What will happen to me if I say that I'm a Christian? We fear men so much because we fear God so little. You see, when you talk about the fear of God, a lot of people go, well, you know, fear of God just means a kind of a nice, kind of a warm, inner fuzzy feeling towards God. But if you look at the Greek word that Jesus uses for fear, he uses a Greek word, phobeo. It's the verb, being afraid. Phobeo, from where we get the word phobia. Now, he's basically saying, let me translate that we should have a serious fear. What does phobeo mean? Phobeo is a Greek word and it means the following, right? It means terror. 
It means to be seized by fear. It means to be frightened and to your wit's end. That's what he's saying. Now, if somebody came in here with a sword, or somebody from ISIS, I love, ISIS are getting an awful whipping this morning, but somebody from ISIS comes in here with a machine gun this morning, and I look at him, and he's pointing his AK-47 at me, I can tell you this, I will be seized with fear. I will be terrified that this guy is going to shoot me. I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't want to get shot. Anybody here want to get shot? I don't want to get shot. I'm going to be terrified that I'm going to get shot. And Jesus is saying, that's the same as you should feel towards God. It's the same word. It's the same word he uses. Why would he use a different word? But, but, does that mean we should go around with a cowering fear of God? A fear of any moment, no, he won't be happy with our lives. Let me give you an example of what it means to fear God. Or let me give you an illustration of the way that the Bible would translate how we should fear God. Do you know what we should fear? There's an ad on the radio from the ESP networks and they said, Electricity is a powerful force of nature and it can kill. Now, I don't have a fear of electricity, okay? Now imagine if you just had a general gnawing fear of electricity and you said to your wife, I'm not going into that restaurant. She says, what, why, 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 out for dinner? She says, no, they have electricity inside there. It might kill me. Or somebody says, look, there's some batteries in this. What batteries? They have electricity to kill you. If you had that kind of a fear of electricity, you'd go, there's something wrong with that guy. But if you decided to blow dry your hair while sitting in the bath, I would say you need some examination of your mind. Because we all know that if you drop the, hair dry, uh, drop the, the blow dryer as you reach for your gel, you'll electrocute yourself. There is a point that we should fear electricity because it can kill us. Because it will kill us if we don't deal with it correctly. It is the same with our attitude towards God. God is there for our care. He powers our lives. Would anyone say amen? amen. And yet at the same time, God is all powerful and he is sovereign and he does what he wills. And we shouldn't mess with him. We shouldn't take him for granted or treat him loosely or just be offhand about God. We should fear God. Why? Because the fear of God cures our fear of man. One fear cures the other. If there was a barking dog, like I, I, went, out, I went out for a run the other day and uh, I, I, I was thinking about this fear, you see, I was thinking about fear and I decided I'd go for a run. And normally when I go for a walk or for, out for a run on this country road near where I live, uh, I bring a hurley with me because I don't like dogs. I was bitten by a dog once. Um, I was only ever bitten by a dog once, but ever since then the, the barking of a dog kind of sends this kind of shiver down my spine and I'm kind of, and I love dogs, I really do. It's like, I think all dogs will go to heaven, but um, I, I love dogs, but, but for some reason, Dogs running around the place, especially Rottweilers going, hur, 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 hur. they just seem to have this effect on me. So I decided, no, I'm going to go running. There's probably going to be no dogs. I'm not taking a hurley with me. I would normally take it, especially if I was walking with Elma, big brave man of a hurley if a dog comes up. So I go for a run, and as I'm, going, I'm running up the road, and next thing I see these two huge dogs on the road, on this country road, and the dogs stood and went, you know, the way dogs kind of look at you and go, and the tails are going. Do you know that one? Do you know that look that the dogs give you? And you're going, you're thinking, he's either friendly or he's going to eat me. And so these two dogs kind of looked at each, literally no, they kind of looked at each other and then looked at me and gave me the tail thing. And I said, I'm in So I said, okay, I'm going to keep running. So I keep running and the dogs kind of looked at me and went, yeah, he's not worth biting. And so, and, so, and so I got past that fear of dogs, you see. 
So I ran to the, to the destination I was going to. I was out for a five-mile run, so I went for two and a half miles, and I came back. So I just wanted to get that information in there. Um, so I was coming back, right? I was coming back after running up two and a half miles, and I'm running back down the hill, and then there's who's waiting for me at the end of the hill? The same two dogs again. Same tail thing going on. And they're looking at me and saying, okay, no, they're, 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 they're peace-loving dogs. I'm a peace-loving dog. Woof. So they were peace. So I said, oh, that's grand of the dogs. So I run down the hill. And what do I hit? Another two dogs, two complete other strange dogs. Only these are the small little Jack Russell type ones. You know, they're gonna ruff, 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 ruff. You know those ones? They're like gonna hoo, hoo. You know, so, ruff, ruff, ruff. You know those ones? And so I run down the hill and I see the two of them also do the same, except for they're Jack Russell. Sorry, am I going too far with this? They're Jack Russells. Jack Russells don't tend to do this thing. They tend to kind of go. And so they stopped, and so I stopped, and then they kind of came over and and I reached down and I started rubbing. The dogs were friendly. So I carried on running. And I didn't need my Hurley. Hallelujah. Where was I? Here's the thing. If there was a dog inside here barking at me, ruff, 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 and I was a little bit dodgy about it, and next thing in through the door came my friend from ISIS, hello, what about him with the machine gun? I would go, I'm not afraid of that dog anymore. I have something much bigger here to be afraid of. And that's why one fear cures another fear. I'm no longer concerned about Jerry Jack Russell here. I'm much more concerned about Abdul Mahul Mahmadarara, who's going to sort me out from the back of the room. You know what I'm saying? Like the cure, the fear is cured. And that's what William Garnell goes on to say. He says, one fear, one, one fear cures the other fear. And if we really fear God and we're really concerned with what God wants in our lives, we won't be afraid of men. Would anyone say Amen. Then Jesus goes on the course. I love the way Jesus always kind of moves it up one more click. We go, okay, Lord, I've got it. And then he moves it up one more click. And he says this. He says, everyone who acknowledged me publicly here on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Lads, that's heavy words. They are heavy words that Jesus is saying. If you acknowledge me publicly, this is not, I'm a Christian. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned, I'm a Christian. That's not what it means. It means publicly to say, yeah, uh, uh, I'm one of them Christians. I, I know I'm a bit mad, but I'm one of those Christians. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me. And you know, here's the thing. It's again one of those fears. For a lot of people, they have a real fear of telling people that they're a Christian. I mean, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. I start conversations and it's like a bad smell has entered the room when I say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I work for a Christian church. And they go, all right. Oh, is that a bad smell? Where did a bad smell come from? People just react with this silence. They can react by not asking you any more questions and they'll just go, oh, right, what do you do yourself, Michael? Well, actually, I work for a church. Amen. Let's move on quickly. This is an hour after I've been speaking to him about his job. But Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. One theologian describes it in this way, that if we deny Jesus, we will fall into God's eternal forgetfulness. And he said the worst thing that can possibly happen to any human being is that they will appear before God on that day and God will have forgotten who they are. Why is acknowledging publicly so important? Well, Paul says it's actually part of being a Christian. It's actually part of our salvation. He says this. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed that God raised him from the dead, you 
will be saved. That's good news, lads. If you confess with your mouth and you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Because he goes on to say this. He says, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. But it is in confessing with your mouth that you are saved. But it's with confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Paul is describing here in Romans chapter 10 that unless we confess our faith, we will not be saved. <laughs> what? So therefore the secret believer's secret of keeping a secret doesn't work anymore because you can't be a secret believer. Now if you are living in Yemen or you're living in Saudi Arabia and Riyadh, here's my first piece of advice. Don't live in Riyadh and Saudi Arabia, advice number one, because you're not allowed to be a Christian there. But even if you were a Christian there, someone should know that you were a Christian. If you're going there for your career and you go and work there and you say, I'm going to go and work in Saudi Arabia for a few years and make a few quid, but I'm a Christian so the Lord's going to protect me, you need to tell someone you're a Christian there. Because if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you do not acknowledge me, I will, if, you do not, if you deny me, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. The book of Proverbs says this, fearing people is a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. The old term, the term taken from the Old Testament is a snare. And do you know what happens to an animal when he gets caught in a snare? They catch him, they kill him, and they eat him. That's what happens to animals who are caught in a snare. And that's what they're referring to here. That fearing people is a dangerous trap. That you know when we begin to fear people. When we begin to become more concerned with what people think about us. It can actually be something that destroys us. It robs us of our time. It robs us of our energy. It robs us of our resources. It robs us. That's what it does. It robs us of our very lives. When we fear people more than we fear God. And yet we do it. All the time, I do it. I fear things and there's things in my head and I think, well, I need to keep that person happy or I need to make sure that that doesn't happen so I've done my responsibilities by this person and we go around more concerned with what people think about us than we do with what God is con thinks about us. It's a dangerous trap and in that trap you will be caught, you will be killed and you will be eaten. It's a snare. It'll take your very life away from you. And you know, when we, we, like, do, you want, do you know the one that gets me? No, forgive me. I understand that it happens, and, but, it does, it, but I don't get it. Okay? All I'm saying is that I don't get it. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. To me, social media bullying or trolling, to me, is the most... I, I just simply don't get it. I just don't get it. Now, I understand it's real. You know, trolling on Twitter and people saying bad things about you on Twitter. And I know that people have become very, very upset about things that were said about them on social media. Now, for me personally, I look at that and I go, well, don't go on social media. Oh, it's not, it's not that complicated. Turn the stupid thing off. You know, switch off your Twitter account. Get rid of your Facebook account. If people are saying bad things about you on social media and it only really appears here in the phone in your hand, then get rid of the phone in your hand. It's not complicated. That's my suggestion. No, you may not want to take that suggestion and go, I'm being trolled on Twitter. I don't care. Get off Twitter. If they, you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Get out of the kitchen. 
But you know something we do? We go around and we're concerned about what other people think about us. Here is what Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church in California says. He says, if you live by the approval of others, you will die by their rejection. If you live just by keeping people happy, if you live because people continually approve of you or say that you're doing the right things or saying that you're doing a good things or that you're a nice little doggy, that's okay. But you will die when they then reject you. And you know, I see it. I see it. I mean, I've got teenage kids. I see it with my own kids. They are so afraid of social rejection. It's frightening. They are so concerned about what people think about them out there on Snapchat. They're that concerned about them. I'm going, get rid of the stupid phone. But like, they, they say things like, I can't not go. My friends won't, won't like me. Hello? When, when did this happen? I think people have always been like this. But if you live by people's approval, if you live by the approval of others, you're going to die by their rejection. When they don't like the look of your nose, when they don't like the size of your toes, when they don't like the way your garden grows, they're not going to like you anymore and you're going to die. And that's going to be no... I was freestyling there, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> you're going to die. You are going to die a thousand deaths. Do you know, have you ever heard the term, oh, I died a thousand deaths? Do you ever hear that term, no? Do you ever, have you heard, you've heard that one, haven't you? Tom's never heard it because he's kind of immune to all that stuff. I died a thousand... I, in, in Cork, I swear, I was scarlet. I died a thousand dead, I swear. It was awful, like I'm so embarrassed. And you know what? There's no substance to it whatsoever. People kind of go, hmm. And you go, oh, I died a thousand deaths. It was awful. William Shakespeare and Julius Caesar says, the coward dies a thousand times. But the brave man dies only once. Do you know something? I don't want to die a thousand times. Dying once is bad enough, lads. Dying a thousand times is... Not great. It really isn't great. But if you live by the approval of others, and I just think that this is prophetic to some of you this morning. I really believe it is. You know, some of you, you're keeping your head down. You're keeping your mouth shut about being a Christian because you don't want people to disapprove of you. You're keeping your decisions and your opinions to yourself because you want other people to approve of you. You know something? If you want their approval, it will cost you your life. That's what it will cost you. Please, God, honor God with your life. Do you know why Paul writes to Timothy and he's talking to Timothy, he's, about, you know, he's spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and he's going around the place and he says, Timothy, I want you to go out there and I want you to be bold and I want you to be fearless when you're telling people about Jesus Christ and I want you to have courage when you're telling people about Jesus Christ because he said this, he said, God did not give us a spirit that makes us afraid. He gave us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. That's what he gave us. He didn't give us a spirit that makes us afraid. He didn't give us his fear. Oh no, what will people think of me? No, he said he gave us a spirit of power. Have you got power in your lives, lads? Have you got power in your lives? Is the Holy Spirit at work in your life to give you power to overcome those fears? Have you got power? Because I talk to so many people and, you know, I, I hear them know, they know the right thing to do. They know the right thing to do in situations, but they just don't feel like they have any power. God has given us his Holy Spirit, so that we can have the power to live the lives that he has called us to live. He didn't give us a spirit that makes us afraid. He didn't give us that spirit. If you're all the time afraid, if you're afraid all the time, there's something I would suspect 
wrong with your faith. There's something that you're not seeing about God. And I'm talking about that continuous gnawing fear. I'm not talking about having a fear that the dog is going to bite you. I think personally, I think that's quite a rational fear. Or even the fear of flying. To me, that's a pretty rational fear. You're not designed to fly in an aluminium tube at 600 miles an hour. I don't know what anybody says. But, you know, these are kind of fairly rational fears, if you ask me. But if you have a gnawing, unnamed fear going on in your life, you need to look to the Lord. You need to get your eyes off what it is that's giving you fear and put them on the Lord. This is what the psalmist said. He said, the Lord is my light and the one who saves me. Why should I fear anyone? Why should I fear anyone? The Lord protects my life. Why should I be afraid? And, the, and, and when you look at that, it takes us again past this temporal thing. The Lord is my life. Why should I fear anyone? Even the infamous, invisible Ahmed, the, uh, the Islamic State guy who comes in here with the machine gun. Why should I be afraid of him? The Lord is my salvation. He can take my body, but he can't take my soul. He can do what he likes to this corpus. But he can't take the soul. The Lord is my light and the one who saves me. Why should I fear anyone? Do you think that you should fear your boss? Do you think you should fear your wife, husbands? Amen. Let's close in prayer there now. You see, I happen to think, I happen to think that just like the Bible says, we need to love the Lord, we also need to fear the Lord. I think it's a wise husband who both loves and fears his wife. I really do. And all of you going, oh, I don't fear my wife. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. You just don't think that you do, but you do. I'm the tough man in my house. Oh, are you really? Okay. Let's see how you get on over a week without food, buddy. See how the tough man gets on then. Sorry, forgive me. I digress. The Lord protects my life. Why should I be afraid? God does not want you living a life of fear. The wrong fear. And that's where I want to wrap up this morning. I'm going to do part two of this on Tuesday night, the fear factor part two, courageous faith. But I want us to pray this morning. First of all, would we hand over our fear of man this morning? The fear, this fear that it, if we say this thing to our boss, to our husband, to our wife, to our children, to our friends, to the, the people who aren't our friends, people in our social circles, people we hang around with a soccer club, whatever situation you're in, where you're holding in because you're afraid of what people will think of what people might do. Can we hand that fear over this morning? Amen? Amen. And the other thing I want to pray is that we would have the right fear. Because Jesus didn't say that all fear was bad. He said you need to have the right fear. And that is the fear of the Lord. That is keeping God's standards before our eyes and before our hearts. Being conscious that we're answerable. No matter the highest court in the world, the highest court we will ever answer to is the court of the Lord. That's the highest court. Will we stand and pray? Can I get the worship band up? We're going to keep our prayers simple this morning. Now I'm going to tell you something about me that you would never have guessed. But I can be afraid at times. Sometimes I struggle with fear. Not, not this kind of, ah, fear. But, you know, and then I'm talking about the fear of dogs. Sometimes I struggle with fear. Sometimes I have anxiety, or not anxiety, but I have fears about the future. Things that I have absolutely no control over. Sometimes I kind of go, hmm, I'm concerned about that. I need to be thinking about that. I need, I need to take avertive action here. But you know, I realize that really God owns my future. He owns all of your futures. Did you know that? He owns all of our futures. 
So if he owns the future, what have we got afraid? What have we got to be afraid about the future for? That's another topic. It's another message we'll preach some other day. We're going to sing the song, No Longer Slaves, because we, we sang it there to start. We're just going to sing this. I'm going to invite you to lift your hands as we sing this song, because this is a declaration. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. Oh, I am a child of God. Hallelujah. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. Oh, I am a child of God. You know, we sing that song, and I love that line, I'm no longer a slave to fear. That doesn't mean that I won't be afraid at some point in the future. It doesn't mean that this week I'm not going to become afraid of a situation. But I'm no longer a slave to it. It no longer has that controlling power over my life. Why? Because I am a child of God. And anyone who is a child of God has an eternal future that goes far beyond this life's can present to us. Would anyone say amen? If you want to say, Lord, I want to hand over my fear to you this morning. If you've got a fear this morning, I suppose specifically I'm thinking of the, the fear of people, that there's people in my life I'm afraid, concerned what they'll think of me, whether it's my boss or, or, or my husband or my wife or my girlfriend or my partner or whatever it is. You want to say, Lord, I want to hand over that fear this morning. Will you raise your hand? I see your hands. I see your hands. Will you raise the other one with it? We're going to pray together. Father in heaven, we hand over our very lives to you this morning, Lord. We hand over our lives to you this morning, Lord, and we hand over to you our fears. The fear, Lord, that can sometimes numb us and overcome us, Lord. Fears, Lord Jesus, that sometimes uh, can wake us up in the middle of the night. That can have us sweating as we go into work in the morning, Lord. We hand that fear over to you this morning, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we say... Would you cure our fear in Jesus' name? Lord, that we may be cured of our fear, Lord Jesus. That we may really, truly, Lord, value you, what you say about us. Really, truly value what you think of our lives so much higher than what people do, Lord. I pray that no one here would die by the disapproval of others. Would anyone say amen? If you're here this morning and you want to say Lord, I'm hearing this news and I want to be one of those who confesses with my mouth and I'm saved. I believe in my heart that you rose from the dead and I want to say, Lord, would you come in and be part of my life? Can we close our eyes just for a second? Let's close our eyes for a second. If you're here this morning, you want to say, Lord Jesus, I want to be acknowledged before you. I want to have your life in me. I want to believe in my heart and confess with my mouth this morning and be saved. If you have not invited Jesus into your life before and you want to call on him this morning and say, Lord, I want to be one of those saved people, will you raise your hand? I see your hands. There's eight people have raised their hands. Praise God. I'm just going to pray with you. Can we all pray together? Would that be okay? Would you pray and support those? I'm going to ask you if you raise your hand to pray aloud with us as well. Would you pray aloud? Just follow me. Lord Jesus Christ. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. And I want you to come into my life. I want you to forgive my sins. Clean me from my past. Brighten my future. 
Give me your hope in your life. Let your Holy Spirit come and live in me. Be the Lord of my life. All the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's give a round of applause to those who prayed that prayer for the first time. Praise God. It's going to invite us. Let's all close in prayer. Can we lift our hands to heaven? Lord, I pray that next week will be different to last week in our experience, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would really know your presence at work in our lives, Lord. I pray we would enter this coming week with no anxiety. Would anyone say amen? I pray, Lord, we would enter this week knowing that you own the next five, seven days. You own the next 365 days. You own the next three decades. Would anyone say amen? Lord, I pray we would enter the future with our eyes not fixed on circumstance or on people or on fears, but our eyes fixed on God and God alone this week. Lord, I pray that that would be transforming in our lives. Give us the blessing of your presence, of your protection, of your purpose at work in our lives. In Jesus' name and all God's people said aloud, Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you, brothers and sisters. God bless and go with you. Keep that in your hearts this week and do not be afraid. We're here for another hour serving tea, coffee upstairs. God bless you. We're starting in at 12. Here Tuesday night, the Fear Factor, part two, Courageous Faith. The lads are going to close us in song. Amen.